Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, back in court, Fonnie Willis making a surprise appearance in a Georgia courtroom where Trump's allies are doing everything they can to get her kicked off Trump's election interference case. And the decision tonight rests with the judge who could announce his decision at any time. Will he remove Willis and possibly end that case? Plus thousands of Russians from all over the country bravely turning out for Alexei Navalny's funeral. As Putin snipers watched from nearby and Russian state television totally ignored all of this. My exclusive guest, the director of the Oscar-winning film Navalny and investigative reporter Christopher Rosev. And breaking news, Alaska fishermen discover another possible spy balloon. They're about to give it to the FBI. Is it from China? Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, Fonnie Willis back in the courtroom. The Fulton County District Attorney making a surprise appearance as Trump allies are making their closing arguments, trying to get her kicked off the election interference case. In a heated hearing, Willis's lawyers accused Trump's team of harassment and embarrassment a fishing expedition to get her removed from the case because of allegations that her relationship with the top prosecutor created a conflict of interest and misused taxpayer money. I want to make clear to the court that I, I, the law in Georgia suggests and is very clear that we can demonstrate an appearance of a conflict of interest and that is sufficient. Once you have the appearance of impropriety under forensic misconduct, the law in Georgia is clear, that's enough to disqualify. Well, that's the Trump argument. Willis's lawyers, though, pushed back and they did it aggressively, accusing Trump's allies of twisting the facts. The defense has to show an actual conflict. And in this instance, they have to show the actual conflict would be that Ms. Willis received a financial benefit or gain and did it based or got it based upon the, the outcome of the case. It doesn't make any sense. Now, to say the stakes are high is a a serious understatement in this case, right? Willis's case against Trump could collapse if she's disqualified. A new prosecutor could change the charges, drop them entirely, or take a lot of time to get up to speed. And that is why Willis walked into that room today. And tonight, it is anybody's guess as to how the judge in the case will decide. It is a crucial decision. And Nick Valencia is out front. He's live outside the courthouse in Atlanta. And Nick, how is the uh, district attorney's team, Willis's team, feeling about her chances to stay on this case? Well, Aaron, those close to her tell me that Fonnie Willis doesn't think defense attorneys for the former president and his allies reached the threshold to disqualify her. But watching her attorney argue, it was clear that he got bogged down in the legal weeds and technicalities. And I have to tell you, from where I was sitting during some of those arguments, it was clear that the judge seemed incredulous. These people, Your Honor, is a systematic misconduct and they need to go. One after another. I think you know it when you see it. 
Defense attorneys pushed for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis to be disqualified from former President Donald Trump's Georgia election subversion case. If this court allows um, this kind of behavior uh, to go on, the entire uh, public confidence in the system will be shot. Willis's arrival during a short break in the hearing took the courtroom by surprise. She nodded and rocked back and forth in her chair as the state argued why she should stay on the racketeering case. A mere fishing expedition. The defense claimed Willis and the case's special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, started dating before she hired him for the job. She put her boyfriend in the spot, paid him, and then reaped the benefits from it. And that she benefited through meals and lavish trips he paid for. She's received a personal financial benefit of over $9,200 in this case that she can't account for. The lead attorney defending Willis said she paid Wade back in full, arguing this has been an effort to harass and embarrass Willis. An actual conflict has not been shown, and more importantly, in conjunction with that, there's been absolutely no evidence that the district attorney has benefited financially at all. Willis sitting at the prosecutor's table, just feet from her attorney, as the judge questioned several of his arguments for why there's no grounds to disqualify the DA. There is a relationship, and that money has changed hands. There's maybe still an open question of where the ledger stands, but I think it was conceded that that balance could run in one way or in, in, in the district attorney's favor. Is that contested? Yes. What's, what's not contested is that a relationship did develop. Last month, Willis testified she started dating Wade after she hired him and denied any impropriety. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. Willis has asked multiple times to bring Trump's racketeering case to trial as soon as possible in the hopes of settling it before the presidential election. But for now, the wait continues. I hope to have an answer for everyone within the next two weeks. And so now we wait for Judge Scott McAfee, who, as you heard there, said that he's going to have his order in the next two weeks. He did tell the court that he's going to have to get through some legal issues, make some factual determinations, uh, but it is going to take time. Ultimately, though, Aaron, he's going to have to decide what is the threshold for disqualification. Is it an actual conflict of interest or simply the appearance of one? Aaron. All right, Nick, thank you very much. And out front now, Ryan Goodman, out front legal analyst, Michael Lisikoff, who has spent extensive time with Willis and her team for his new book, Find Me the Votes, a hard-charging Georgia prosecutor, a rogue president, and the plot to steal an American election, and Van Jones, former special advisor to President Obama. Ryan, uh, I hope to have an answer in the next two weeks. Um, I can't really find the word quickly of a, to describe the look on his face, um, but here we are. You have said repeatedly that if Fannie Willis is disqualified, the case could be in major jeopardy for, for several reasons, right? Uh, which way do you think the judge is leaning? It seems as though the judge is leaning not towards disqualification and leaving it instead to a question of discipline for other authorities to determine... The bar or whatever. Yeah, and that there be other consequences for um, the DA, but not taking her off the case necessarily, at least not by him. And it looks as though that's partly because there's not really a strong presentation that there was a conflict of interest. Uh, that's one of the pieces that in some sense went unre unrebutted uh, by the prosecutor's side. Quick follow, not by him. 
someone else uh, who could take her off and when? How would that play out? So it would probably play out over the next several months in which she would be investigated by ethics oversight boards and commissions. And there are also there's a new commission that's about to be empowered in all likelihood by the legislature in Georgia. They could come down on all sorts of questions and not just about conflict of interest, including whether or not she was truthful on the stand. Um, So So this doesn't go away even if she remains on. Oh, I think there's a cloud over her now for several months. All right. Um, that, that is ominous, uh, even if it does continue. And, but, Michael, I mean, you know, in that room, the judge did seem to rattle the lawyer for Willis's office. Uh, you could see that in the way he there was sometimes sort of stumbling. Uh, and then Willis walked up, as I just showed you there, handed him notes during his presentation. And you heard uh, Nick Valencia saying at one point the judge seemed incredulous at the arguments being made by the lawyer. Uh, the DA tells Nick Valencia she was not pleased uh, with his approach and thought she was going to stand up and say something herself. Okay, you know these individuals. <laughs> what is your read on what happened in that courtroom, the reaction I, of the DA? I am totally sure that Fonnie Willis was itching to get up there and argue her case before the judge, especially because Mr. Abadi uh, was stumbling a bit. Look, um, Judge McAvee has, um, you know, has earned a reputation for being pretty even handed uh, throughout this. And I think he showed that today in his sort of even handed skeptical questions for both sides during the when the uh, the lawyers for the Trump defendants were making these assertions about how uh, Willis had a personal interest in the case and that the evidence shows that they began the relationship before they testified to before she hired Nathan Wade. Um, the judge was a bit skeptical. He said, what's the personal interest? When they uh, when they kept bringing up uh, uh, Terrence Bradley's uh, text messages, you know, he pointed out there's nothing in that text, in those text messages that say how he knows wh- uh, when the relationship began and any other details about it. And he pointed out that Ashley Merchant, the lawyer, didn't lock him in, didn't go sit down uh, and, and probe for the answers to those questions and get affidavit. But at the same time, when uh, Andrew Abadi, the lawyer for uh, the DA's office, got up there and the questions came about the state of the law and whether it's actual conference, uh, conflict or an appearance yep. of conflict, um, he... Uh, uh, McAvee pushed back uh, on the argument that appearance was not an appropriate standard. And I think that's where this ball game is right now. Yeah. It's not an actual conflict. The, the Trump lawyers haven't proven that by any means. But if it's an appearance, which is kind of a loosey-goosey standard, it just looks bad, then, yeah. you know, Fonnie Willis could be in trouble. And, and, and to that point, Van, uh, appearance of a conflict versus an actual conflict Uh, That is really what this is about, actually, beyond that courtroom. The public perception. Even if a case goes ahead, what is now the public perception? Well, you know, it's it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, this is the case that people felt felt strongly about. They thought it was strong. They thought she was strong. And also, even if Trump becomes president, uh, he can't make it go away because it's a state case. Uh, And so the fact that uh, people went digging around in, her, in, the, in the garbage can and found some stuff, and now they're throwing it on her and saying, now you're dirty. Uh, that's, that's the way the game gets played, unfortunately. But uh, I think the judge has to make a, a really strong decision because, first of all, highly consequential for the country. Yeah. And second of all, um, you know, it, it's, not, it's, not clear, it's not clear to me uh, that the level, that the, the conflict of interest is not, she's got some extra reason because this relationship to go after Donald Trump. 
it's, what is the conflict of interest about? And that's where, where I right. think he's got to. Well, it would be sort of pretty uh, damaging to a relationship, if, you know, if you're in it and you're hiring someone as a favor and then you try to hire someone else and someone else after that and someone else after that, and then finally you settle on the guy you're dating. I mean, that's, uh, but that's what it would be. So it's a, that, that is some perspective, Ryan. But to that point, you have said that the cell phone data that was obtained by a private investigator hired by the Trump team is what could be the most damaging. It shows uh, 35 occasions in which his phone was hitting a cell tower uh, near where she lived in the wee hours uh, of the morning, I, I suppose, uh, in 2021. That's obviously before she hired Wade, and it's also before they said the relationship began. Uh, Willis's lawyer said that this doesn't indicate anything about whether they were dating. Here's how. Well, I think that's the point. <coughs> I would say yes, that is the point. He, he referenced that that's an area that he, um, it was not uncommon for him to be in. Miss Willis and Mr. Wade never denied that he had been to that condo before. Um, the, the, the specific testimony that was uh, elicited by Miss Willis and Mr. Wade was that he, never, he had never laid his head, uh, was the direct quote, um, at, at, at that condo, which these records don't prove that he laid his head anywhere. Uh, Willis seemed to be smiling as he was making that argument. Um, what did you think about it? I thought that was a pretty awful place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be blunt, yeah. Yeah, for a lawyer to be to be saying, hey, look, <laughs> he only said he didn't lay his head there. But yes, there might be evidence that he was there for several hours in the middle of the night from like 1230 a.m. Because he left before the morning. Yeah. So it's, that, that is not where you want to be. And in, in some sense, even if something's technically true, and, yeah. and I'm sure it's technically true that he didn't lay his head there, that is not where you want to be. That could still be a lie <laughs> because you've misled everybody by saying it's suggesting right. I was never there overnight. Right. And, and that's what this self evidence is strongly indicative of. And they haven't really rebutted that. Right. And the text messages uh, as, as well. I mean, I didn't even mention those, but, but, but thousands of those yes. as well. All right. Thanks very much to all of you. You can catch more, by the way, of Van on this Sunday's episode of The Whole Story. He travels to his home state of Tennessee to explore how the state's politics have transformed ahead of Super Tuesday. And Van airs at 8. And out front next, Trump also back in court today trying to delay the start of his classified documents case. But why are his lawyers now pushing for an August trial date? that could lead to a verdict well before the election. How come? Well, the former Trump White House lawyer, Ty Cobb, will be next. Plus, incredible images of bravery tonight. Thousands risking their lives to turn out for Alexei Navalny's funeral. Investigative journalist Christo Grozev and Oscar award-winning director of the film Navalny are with me to remember their friend. Plus, our Sanjay Gupta with a special report. You'll watch a man control a computer with his thoughts. It gives me the opportunity to be able to continue to do things that I'm able to do now just by thinking about it. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, Trump in court again, this time for a hearing in his federal classified documents case. Now, Trump didn't need to be there, but he chose to be there. And the hearing touched on a number of issues, perhaps most important, when the trial will actually begin. Jack Smith's team has asked for that July 8th start. Trump's team asked for August 12th. Now, according to our Caitlin Polans, who was in the courtroom, Trump barely looked at Jack Smith in the proceeding, not more than once or twice the entire time. Out front now, Ty Cobb, the former Trump White House lawyer. So, Ty, of course, the judge in this case is Eileen Cannon, nominated to the bench by Trump. Uh, She has uh, thus far issued uh, decisions in this case that have uh, been friendly to him. But, um, you know, we don't know what she will do at this point. You followed the hearing very closely today. What did you make of her comments today? Did you get any insight on her thinking? So I think the what we heard from her today, sort of at the end of the at the end of the hearing, uh, I'm told and based on the reporting, was that uh, she had a comment, there's so much to do. Uh, That's not the last time we'll hear that. Uh, She'll do it again when she delays the trial uh, repeatedly uh, to get it beyond the election. Uh, I think it's the richest thing that happened today was when she said, um, you know, uh, pointed to all the motions that were pending and, you know, as a a reason for why, you know, it was going to be difficult to be prepared. Well, Jack Smith and his team, proposed a schedule months ago that would have resolved half of those motions and had the case ready to go on a schedule that would have ended before now. Um, you know, and she rejected that. And she delayed, you know, all the serious work that ne- is necessary under the Classified Procedures Act. So I think the trial date, even that Trump proposed today, is highly unlikely. I think they only proposed the August date as a chess piece in the uh, uh D.C. case, uh, they would love to have her schedule a August uh, date, uh, knowing that she'll move it um, to hold uh, off Jack Smith in D.C. And I think that's the uh, I think that was their game plan. And I think that they're likely to succeed in that. Um, I, I don't want to say you're being fatalistic. I know you're being honest, but uh, it is a it is a grim assessment. But I think important the way you lay it out that they don't meet August 12th. They, they, they're using it as a chess piece and something else, knowing that she'll delay it even further. So that's not a real date from the Trump team. Uh, I did mention Caitlin Polance's reporting from inside the courtroom, and she was in there. She saw Trump tie appear to grow impatient at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, it was a five-hour hearing, so it was just before it ended. He started to get impatient. Um, but, you know, obviously he was there by choice. It's a long time for him to be there. So he began shaking his head, according to her uh, reporting, as a DOJ prosecutor stood up to deliver his closing argument. And before that, she said people in the courtroom seemed a bit more relaxed uh, than at prior hearings. Uh, at one point, Judge Cannon even let her hair out of being pinned back at one point. So just a, maybe 
sort of a more casual set of interactions. What do you make of that? That that there was that sort of calmness, but then Trump choosing to be there the entire time. Well, I think you know he was there the entire time, basically as a compliment uh, or a, uh, a, a wave to her. Um, mm. I think he uh, recognizes, as does most of the litigating world, that uh, you know she uh, has really gone out of her way, and, and that got her rebuked by the Eleventh Circuit. Uh, to favor Trump in these proceedings, and I think he wanted to uh, repay the repay the favor by showing up, um, and he had the absolute right to be there, uh, but he didn't have to be there. Uh, also, I think um, uh, in terms of the dynamic uh, at three o'clock, uh, that's sort of you know uh, that's a long time for him to go without a diet coke, uh, so I can see why he might be cranky, but he probably was mostly cranky about what the government was saying. In terms of you know the political schedules are relevant, um, you know this case is ready to go. We can get this case done. Uh, these issues that they're raising in terms of wanting to do these fishing expeditions with federal um, agencies uh, is you know unprecedented. They haven't established any evidence that would justify such a uh, fishing expedition, even though she said she would entertain it. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, Trump doesn't like it when the government uh, speaks and the government gets its way. All right, Ty, thank you very much. Appreciate your thoughts and have a good weekend. My pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. All right. And next, defying Putin. Huge crowd showing up as Alexei Navalny was laid to rest. More than 100 people were detained. Navalny's close friend, who is wanted by Putin, is next. And breaking news, we are learning tonight that commercial fishermen off the coast of Alaska have now found what could be another spy balloon. Tonight, thousands and thousands of Russians in a striking show of dissent, defying Vladimir Putin to say goodbye to the Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. And you see Navalny there. He had an open casket at a church in Moscow. Now, among the very few allowed inside the church were Navalny's parents. But outside that church, there were a huge force of riot police, snipers in some cases, crouching on rooftops. Metal barriers blocked access to the entrance of the church. And then, listen to this. They're chanting, and what they're saying is Russia without Putin. To think about the incredible bravery of all those people choosing to do that. At this hour, 115 people have been detained. The Kremlin saying uh, had made its word to arrest any show of support for Navalny taking action. In fact, Russian television barely mentioned any of what we are showing you tonight. Mass demonstrations on the streets, it's a big deal in Russia. Didn't see it on state television. The Kremlin in a statement saying it has nothing to say to Navalny's family. As his wife, Yulia, alleging Navalny was killed on Putin's orders at a penal colony. Out front now, Navalny's close friend, the investigative reporter, Christo Grozev. He exposed the plot to kill Navalny with Novichok on that airplane. He is on Putin's wanted list now. Also with me, Daniel Rohr, the director of the Oscar-winning CNN film, Navalny. Uh, I am glad to see both of you, although not under the circumstances we're talking tonight. Christo, you had to watch your friend laid to rest today and, and to see his face. The images were incredibly moving. What, what stuck with you the most? Well, I think it was the closure of the disposal of disbelief uh, that, and I heard this from many, many Russians who spoke up on TV channels, radio channels, for them the important 
uh, moment today was twofold. One was they finally realized that they've lost something. Still now it was an abstract loss. Now it's become a very tangible loss. They saw him dead. And the second thing that everybody felt was that hope is not lost because what everybody hoped would happen, people would come in their thousands or tens of thousands of streets, did happen. And this means that fear is not there forever and that there can be a circumstance, there can be a situation which people can follow Alex Day's own legacy and advice, which was don't give up. The fact that they're trying to kill me means that they're afraid of us and that you should take advantage of that fear. Daniel, you spent a lot of time with Navalny making your film. And I want to ask you about something that happened today specifically, which is the music. And the music that was played was music that Navalny had chosen for a funeral that unfortunately he knew very well could happen. And he was buried to a song from his favorite movie, Terminator 2. And his spokesperson wrote, Daniel, Alexei considered Terminator 2 the best film in the whole world, referencing the scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger sinks into the vat of molten metal, gives a thumbs up. I know to many it may seem like a, you know, just a theatrical moment. It was very symbolic to Navalny, right? Uh, yeah, Aaron, I'm, I'm laughing right now because Alexa and I would have debates about this. He would say, Terminator 2 is the greatest film ever made. Um, and I watched it last night in his honor, and today I am agreeing with him. Terminator 2 is the greatest film ever made, and it's particularly symbolic. You know, the theme of that film is, there's a famous quote in the movie, the, the, the future is not set. The, the, there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. It's about agency, it's about being brave, and it's about being strong in the face of unimaginable opposition and odds. And, and that idea, that notion, is what I'm carrying forward, and of course, Playing that song and, and evoking that film uh, is so Alexei. So I, of course, have to be crying and smiling at the same time because that's in the spirit of Navalny. Christo, I know that you right now are doing everything. You are dedicating everything of yourself to find out exactly what happened to your friend. And so I want to share what Navalny's close aide, Maria Pevchik, who, of course, you know very well, said in a bombshell video that was posted on Monday. Here she is. Navalny was supposed to be free in the coming days because we had achieved a decision on his exchange. In early February, Putin was offered to swap the FSB killer, Vadim Krasikov, who is serving time for murder in Berlin, for two American citizens and Alexei Navalny. I received confirmation that negotiations were in the final stages on the evening of February 15th. On February 16th, Alexei was killed. Christo, have you learned anything more? It's hard to find out what exactly happened in terms of decision-making, um, but one of the hypotheses, the one that Maria espouses in that video, is that Putin let everybody believe that he was willing to go along and negotiate, uh, possibly a swap of uh, Alexei Navalny for uh, an assassin who is serving a life sentence in Germany because Putin sent him to kill a refugee in 2019. But that uh, the reason for him to negotiate is only to send a message at the end by killing Navalny to the rest of the world that there are no red lines for him anymore, that he will not stop at anything. And it's part of the bluffing game. If that is true, it's part of his bluffing game to cause the West, to cause the United States to believe that he will stop, not stop at nothing in Ukraine and to stop the West from arming Ukraine. This is a very plausible scenario. This is what, um, what is uh, typical for somebody uh, from the KGB background like, uh, like Putin. Yes. 
But what we do know at this point is that there's almost no innocent hypothesis. There's almost no scenario in, this was, in which this would be a natural death. Um, there were, one, of the, one of the things we discovered was that there was a discrediting campaign against Yulia Navalny that started about 10 days before the murder. And this campaign was amplified on the day of the murder. Uh, and this suggests that they had been planning for this and they knew that uh, Yulia Navalny would take over from Alexei and that they needed to prepare a character assassination campaign. This all points to uh, other evidence, such as the fact that they are withholding the body, were withholding the body for nine days before handing it over to, uh, to the parents. Um, all of this uh, points in the direction of willful assassination. Fascinating what you say about that, that 10 days before they start this campaign and on the day of the escalation. Uh, Daniel, Yulia did share her grief with the world today, uh, a video of special moments uh, with her husband, um, saying, I don't know if I can handle this or not, but I will try. His daughter, Dasha, uh, whom you know we all know, paid tribute to her father, saying she promises to make him proud. But neither were able to attend Navalny's funeral. His son couldn't go. His brother couldn't go. Um, it's not clear they'll ever be able to go to Russia again. Um, and yet, despite all of this, Navalny loved Russia. Daniel, from your conversations with him, what do you think about the fact that, that he now has his final resting place there? You know, Aaron, what you just said moved me deeply. And, you know, I, I'm feeling the, the sadness uh, of this moment. Um, I understand that uh, Alexei is being laid to rest about 20 minutes, a 20 minute walk from where Dasha and Zahar grew up in this small um, apartment where Yulia and Alexei raised their children. Um, and I think that's fitting. Navalny wouldn't want some giant state funeral. He would want to be with the people. He would want to be in a community where his family can walk to see him and to visit him um, because they will go back one day, Aaron. Yulia, Zahar, and Dasha will go back to Moscow one day. And I hope to go as well. And I hope to, to go visit Alexei one last time. Thank you both very much. And tonight... With Vladimir Putin under fire, we've got incredible new video into Outfront. It shows the moment that Ukrainian soldiers came under heavy Russian fire as they took up positions inside what was once a house. It comes as Putin has made his darkest and most specific threats yet about using nuclear weapons against the West. Outfront now, the retired Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, the former commanding general of the U.S. Army Europe. And General, uh, it is wonderful to be with you in person. I know, obviously, usually you are joining us uh, from Germany. So... Putin has threatened to use nukes more openly than he ever has in his speech that he just gave, uh, warning of the destruction of civilization. Those were his exact words. How serious is this to you? Well, of course you have to take him serious because he doesn't care about how many innocent people might be killed. But I think this is a continuation of his style of using threats, uh, bluster, because he sees how we overreact every time. Uh, there, there's no upside for Russia if they use a nuclear weapon, zero. Uh, our president has told them that there will be catastrophic consequences for Russia if they use a nuclear weapon. So really, for the Kremlin, their nuclear weapons are most effective when they don't actually use them because we, we deter ourselves, we overreact. Uh, so the Financial Times, uh, Max Seddon had this great report earlier this week. He had obtained intelligence documents showing the Russian threshold for using nuclear weapons. And it was much lower than anybody thought. In fact, um, making the Navy more effective 
was actually a justification for using uh, a, a, a nuclear weapon of some sort. Uh, stopping aggression was a definition, which of course could be defined any way one wants to define it. Um, are you surprised that the threshold, at least you know, in their written documents of what they say, is that low? Well, um, that is lower than what I had always believed, but you have to be skeptical whenever you have a, a Russian document. You know, what, what's the purpose of this document? How did, how did we get this? And again, I think this is part of an effort by the Kremlin to make us be wary. And it, and it works. To halt Ukraine aid more. Yeah, it, it yeah. works because even the administration, which has done so much, and the German government, uh, the top two contributors are not willing to say, we want Ukraine to win. Our objective is for Ukraine to defeat Russia. And I think this is tied to their concern. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says there's nearly $300 billion, $285 billion in frozen Russian assets. Um, she's saying that should be sent to Ukraine. And obviously you've got the congressional money on hold. Um, obviously $285 billion in frozen Russian assets is a massive amount of money. Um, but how much of a difference would something like that make, even if you had a small portion of it? Well, that's... Do quick math here. That's about four or five times the size of the aid package right now that we're all waiting uh, to get through. So that would be an enormous uh, boost for Ukraine, uh, both for purchasing what they need to to win this war, but also even for reconstruction. But it also would be useful because it would send such a strong signal to the Russians that there are consequences for what they do. And right now, a lot of the people around Putin have not really felt the consequences for supporting him. And so you think that'd be a good idea? Absolutely. All right. Well, General, it's great to see you, and thank you. Thanks for the privilege. And next, breaking news. A year after the U.S. shot down the Chinese spy balloon, we're now learning that Alaska fishermen tonight have discovered what could be another spy balloon. And the Chinese Coast Guard with a major show of force around a key U.S. trading partner tonight. We've been out on this boat for less than two hours, and we've already seen at least four Chinese Coast Guard boats. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, another possible spy balloon. This one was found by fishermen off the coast of Alaska who are going to bring it to FBI agents when they get to shore. So they literally found this uh, in the water and they're bringing it back. So the fishermen are not certain that what they found is a balloon, but the FBI determined that it looked enough like one to warrant further investigation. So that's where we are now as tensions between China and Taiwan are reaching a fever pitch. China's Coast Guard showing force around a group of islands controlled by Taiwan within spitting distance of the mainland. Will Ripley is out front. Just off the foggy coast near Taiwan's frontline Jinmen Islands, the Chinese Coast Guard intercepts a Taiwanese tourist boat. Taiwan's Coast Guard calls it an unprecedented forced inspection triggering panic among passengers and the public. It was very scary. I was afraid that I might not be able to return to Taiwan. 
These are the waters where that incident happened, where the Chinese Coast Guard boarded the Taiwanese tourist boat and checked everyone's ID, spooking a lot of the people on board. You can see how close we are to the skyline of the Chinese city of Xiamen. There are Chinese construction boats all throughout these waters. Pretty easy to mix up which side, the Chinese side or the Taiwanese side you're on when you're this close. Cross Strait tensions rising here ever since the Lunar New Year holiday. A Chinese speedboat capsized in a chase with Taiwan's Coast Guard. Similar to this one several years ago. Chinese fishing boats accused by Taiwan of trespassing the island's territorial waters more than 1,000 times last year alone. As the speedboat was snaking, trying to evade inspection and even drifting, it capsized and four people fell into the sea. Two Chinese fishermen drowned, two others survived, telling a conflicting story. Even if we make quick turns, we won't capsize. It only capsized when it was rammed into. An infuriated Beijing accuses Taipei of covering up the fishermen's deaths. Chinese officials blame Taiwan's ruling party, reiterating Beijing's sovereign claim over Taiwan, promising to step up patrols in the area. Taiwan is deploying its own Coast Guard in response. Analysts say the mainland may be testing how far it can push Taiwan, trying to erode its ability to control waters long governed by Taipei. We've been out on this boat for less than two hours, and we've already seen at least four Chinese Coast Guard boats, including that one right over there, which just made a U-turn. Our captain says that means they're monitoring us just like we're watching them. Rattling the nerves of Taiwanese tour boat operators. Do you worry that this could be the place where there could be uh, the beginning of a bigger conflict between Taiwan and mainland China? To be frank, I am concerned, but this is not what our people want. If there is conflict, both sides will be devastated. Both sides watching what happens next. Surging tensions on the Taiwan Strait, threatening to spill over. Will Ripley, CNN, Jinmen, Taiwan. Incredible report by Will. Well, next, our Dr. Sanjay Gupta with a special report on how a man is now able to control a computer using only his thoughts. Tonight, a medical and technology breakthrough. A man battling ALS able to control a computer using only his thoughts. It's amazing. And our own Dr. Sanjay Gupta was there, given unprecedented access to see how it happens. And Dr. Gupta is out front with this remarkable story. Up, down, left, right. Everything you are watching happen on this screen right now is being controlled only with Mark's thoughts. So that just sent out a health notification. Mm -hmm. He describes it as contracting and then relaxing his brain. It takes concentration. It's a pretty involved process. It's, it's one I don't take lightly. This has all been pretty sudden for Mark. He was diagnosed with ALS in 2021. Mark has since lost control of his hands and arms. He will likely lose his voice. Mark didn't hesitate to sign up for a clinical trial to have this placed in his brain. It's called a stentrode. The one thing about this disease is it, it affects your physical, but not the mind. To me, it gives me the opportunity to be able to continue to do things that I'm able to do now just by thinking about it. 
In the world of brain-computer interfaces, or BCIs, it is still early days. In fact, up until recently, it's mostly led to monkeys being able to play Pong. But Synchron was one of the first companies in the world to get FDA approval for human trials. And Mark is one of those first humans. It's all the brainchild of this man, Dr. Tom Oxley. Text messaging is a really critical um, element of how we communicate with our family and friends now. So that's usually what people mostly want back. So then that will text the caregiver. So you just sent a text? I did. That's pretty cool. Pretty simple. Yeah, pretty cool. Dr. Oxley is a neurologist who first started thinking about the possibility of brain implants while in his native Australia. For people who have got paralysis or motor impairment, but they have that part of the brain still working, then if you can put a device in, get the information, get it out of the brain, then you can turn what previously was a signal controlling your body into a signal that controls a digital device. The Stentrode is the device that Oxley and his team at Synchron created. It's a cage of thin wired mesh with electrode sensors that can detect electrical brain activity, translate that activity, and then transmit it to devices, such as a phone or a computer. It's amazing, that's all I can say. And just like a stent, it doesn't require open brain surgery. Instead, it's able to travel through the body's natural network of veins and sit in a major vein right in the middle of the brain. This is the actual deployment now. I even tried my own hand at implanting one. Keep pushing out the stent nice and slow. Keep going. There we go. So that's deployed on top of the brain inside the blood vessel. I think the procedure went well. It went well. It was your first attempt, no practice, and you landed it perfectly. The procedure is minimally invasive, and you can't see the device just by looking. The stentrode is threaded up through a vessel along the neck. Right here you can feel a little cable. That's actually connecting that stent to a device that now sits right underneath the skin here. And it's from there that the signals are sent out that can help him control these devices in his environment. Our brains have billions of neurons firing electrical impulses that control our movements. Everything from shaking hands to taking a step. Each and every one of those actions is associated with a specific electrical signature. The stentrode, which again, sits right here around that area of the brain responsible for movement, learns to recognize those specific electrical patterns and essentially creates your own personalized dictionary of movement. What can a BCI not do? One myth for BCI is that it can read your thoughts. I mean, there's 80 billion neurons in the brain and you'd have to be watching all of them to um, have some sense of the complexity that's going on inside the brain. BCIs just take a snapshot of particular domains of function. And so what we're looking at on Mark's angiogram here, this is the, the actual stentrode. Dr. Raul Nagera implanted the stentrode into Mark's brain. If you really want to cure a problem like paralysis, you really need to specifically read the signals from your motor cortex, from the center of movement in the brain. Previous generation BCIs tried to measure brain activity from outside the skull. But newer generation BCIs, including the one from Elon Musk's Neuralink, attempt to sit right on top of the brain. The stentrode is sort of in between. I like to make this comparison of going to a concert or a symphony. Listen to the brain outside of the skull, or concert hall, and the music sounds garbled, difficult to hear. 
If you're too close, you only hear one instrument. But by sitting in the center of the brain, like the stentro does, you can hear the entire symphony more clearly. My hope is that in the next five to 10 years, you're gonna see this in the patient setting. It's a hope for patients of the future and a chance for Mark to continue living a full life now. 10 out of 10. Nice. Ready for a tournament. The brain control interface <laughs> Pong tournament. Exactly. Sanjay joins me now. I mean, Sanjay, this technology is incredible. I mean, it would obviously, it completely changes Mark's life and, and others like him. Yeah. You know, one thing that stood out to me, though, is that it obviously takes such an incredible amount of concentration to make this work. And, you know, if you have competing thoughts or contradictory thoughts, which seems as sort of a human failing, uh, you know, for, for all of us. How does this technology deal with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to tell you, you know, even as a neurosurgeon myself, I learned so much about these brain-computer interfaces. I mean, we're all learning. But one of the things to keep in mind is even after the device is implanted, it takes months uh, to accomplish exactly what you're talking about, Aaron. Um, so he had it implanted then several months later when they actually started to try and control things in his environment. And during the time in between, it's focusing on actually uh, developing that concentration, understanding how to actually think about something and have it result in an action. It's not how we are programmed to do things. We lift our hand, we do something right away. Here, you just have to think about it and recognize that that's going to result in some sort of outcome. So it's not immediate. You're going to hear about these implants being uh, put in, but then it will be months before you hear about them actually doing something for the individual because they need to train over and over again for months. All right, Sanjay, thank you so much. Got it. Thank you. It's such an amazing story and amazing to see Sanjay actually doing brain surgery <laughs> and, of course, getting it right. Well, thanks so much to all of you for joining us. Anderson starts now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.